Good morning. My name's Katie. I'm a deacon here at Incarnation. It's really lovely to see all of you this Sunday morning, but a special welcome to those of you who might be joining us for the first time or have only have come a couple times. I'm going to begin with a word for our children who are gathered. So this morning we had several readings from the Bible and several of them had to do with how it is that God speaks to people. And we saw a couple different illustrations of how it is that God speaks to his followers. One was the story of Samuel, who was a little boy, and we have a story of God speaking to him in a dream. We have the story of um, first, the first Corinthians, and that's a story of how God spoke to his church through a letter so he inspired the writer of the letter to speak his words to that church. And then we have the third story, which is Jesus meeting some of his disciples for the first time and calling them. So each of these are very different ways. And God speaks to his people in lots of different ways, through dreams, through other people, maybe through letters. And I want, all of, I want you kids this morning, when you're listening to the sermon, I want you to be thinking about when was the last time you can remember hearing the voice of God? that you know for sure, either instructing you to have a conversation or telling you not to do something or encouraging you to do something. And I want you to either draw a picture or write down some words of how God's voice sounded to you and what he said to you and how maybe how it made you feel. And then I encourage you to talk to an adult after the service about that. Maybe tell them the story of what it felt like to hear God's voice speaking to you because all the adults also can tell you stories of how they have heard God speaking to them over their years of following Jesus. Now for your adults, we are now in our second week of a sermon series on the book of first Corinthians. Last week was our first week. David Griffin preached on the first chapter of first Corinthians. He kicked us off with a sermon on the truth of God and as David highlighted last week, 1 Corinthians is apostle, the Apostle Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. This was a church that he founded, but after he left, after he'd spent a long time with them, the church had become divided into various parties. And on top of that, some members of the church were committing these ethical errors. They were making these really poor judgments and engaging in behaviors that were pulling the church even further apart. And this was really distressing to their founder. And so he decided to write them this letter to confront these issues. And they're really complex and tangled issues, right? So not only are they divided into these groups, but then there's these behaviors that are really causing even more friction among the members. And so at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, we see the Apostle Paul kind of acting like the community doctor. He's going in and he's trying to make a diagnosis of the divisions among them and their behaviors. And he's trying to figure out what remedy does he need to apply to the issues that are confronting this church. And so he go, starts out like a good doctor and he says, so here's what your problem is. He says, here's the problem. And he says this right in the first chapter. He says, you have been sanctified and you have been made holy. You've been set apart because you've been baptized and you've received the spirit and you've received Jesus Christ, but you're not acting like it. You've been given all these amazing gifts by the spirit of knowledge and wisdom, but you're not using them. And in fact, you're misusing them and you're using them in ways that harm your fellow Christians. And so the apostle Paul essentially says, buck up Corinthians. You're saints, act like it. 
He says, stop acting like you're infants and instead live in ways that reflect the character of God. And so if he was giving his diagnosis, he would say, before you received Christ, you operated in the wisdom of the world. But now that you have Christ, you have the wisdom that the pure wisdom that comes from God. He goes, you used to be these people who were fleshly. And so you would follow after anything that your eyes and your heart led you to. He says, but now you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to live as these spiritual people led by the Holy Spirit who are no longer driven by what your body tells you that you want. And he says, before you received Christ, the world saw you as powerless and underprivileged. Some of you were poor, but now you have received the riches of God. You have these amazing spiritual gifts that God has given you to pour out to bless his people and his church. The problem, Paul says, is that you're living as though you haven't received Christ. You're living as though you haven't been given the spirit. And so then Paul says, so what's the remedy? If this is who you are and this is who you're called to be and you're not living like you're supposed to be living, then what is the remedy? What bridges that gap between who you're supposed to be and who you used to be? What enables you to live as the people who have received the spirit? And what can address all these divisions within you? What can curb your boasting and lead you to actually desire to use your gifts to serve the church? What gives you the power to live this transformed life to be these saints that you already are? And Paul says, it's the spirit of God. That is, that is what you have that enables you to live these transformed lives. And that is a resource that you are not tapping into right now. Because it wasn't Paul's preaching that allowed the message of the cross to take root into this Corinthians church, right? He says, you didn't believe because I was this amazing preacher. No, you believed because the spirit of God came upon you in great power. And these works occurred among you. And that was what convicted you of the power of the message of Christ. And that's why you became Christians. And that was what, and it's the spirit that drew you into the fellowship of the church. And so he says, despite the fact that you're living with temptation all around you in the city of Corinth, you don't have to live this way. You can live this spirit empowered life. And actually, he goes one step further and says, actually, without the spirit, it's absolutely impossible to know the things of God and to enjoy fellowship with God. Right. Before you were Christians, you didn't have the spirit. And so you couldn't understand the wisdom of God. So he says on the on your own, you would have received the message of the cross and lots of your peers received the message of the cross as scandalous foolishness. And while you anyone can pick up the scriptures and you can understand it to some degree with your own mind. It's the Holy Spirit that under, helps you to understand how God has been working his salvation purposes through all of the scriptures and all of history, right? It's the spirit that enables you to make sense of what you're reading in the scriptures. And I think most of us know this pretty intuitively, right? I think all of us have family members or friends who've just picked up the Bible and started reading it on their own. And they've gotten hopelessly lost and bogged down in the Old Testament law. And they've gotten frustrated or turned off by what they've actually found inside. Well, they could have pushed on and tried to keep imitating the teachings of scripture without the Holy Spirit. 
And to some degree, they would have been able to, but it wouldn't have been joyous and life-filling the way that it is when you've received the Holy Spirit. I mean, I, I think as believers, we receive the scriptures and we hear them in a different sort of way once you've received the Holy Spirit. And it's the mind of Christ that enables us to receive the scriptures and to hear them as an encounter with the God that loves us and gave his son to save us. It's the mind of Christ that enables us to know how to exercise our spiritual gifts for the good of all. It's the mind of Christ that gives us the wisdom to know how to act in situations where loyalty to God might be compromised. And it's the mind of Christ that enables all of us to live together as believers and to know when we need to offer correction to somebody else and how to do that in a way that they would be able to receive. And so if we already have all received the mind of Christ as believers, the question is, how do we live as those who have been made wise in Christ? How do we become people who don't just know the things of God with our intellect, but how do we live as those who have been made alive? Or if we were to continue with our medical image from Paul, if the Holy Spirit is the remedy, how do we apply that remedy to our lives, right? How do we become people whose lives are actually led and directed by the Holy Spirit rather than just our own intellect and our own emotions and our own desires? How do we become those people who are led by the Holy Spirit? And if Christ is the wisdom and the power of God, how do we become wise people, right? How do we become people who have the mind of Christ, who live guided by the wisdom of Christ? Because certainly if the book of 1 Corinthians shows us nothing else, it shows us that spiritual maturity doesn't just happen with no effort on our part, right? These are people who've received the Holy Spirit and yet they're acting as if they haven't. And so certainly, if nothing else, I think one of the thing, lessons we can all take away from 1 Corinthians is that once you've become a Christian, your life does not go on autopilot. You've been given the Holy Spirit to actually transform your life. And so that doesn't happen without any effort on our part. And to answer the question of how to exercise the mind of Christ, you know, so if Paul is offering the mind of Christ is the remedy that the Corinthians need to apply to their situation, and that I think we all need to apply to our situation as well, then how is it that we exercise the mind of Christ? Well, I think one of the things that Paul had in mind was all the wisdom books of the Old Testament, right? So when he's writing about the wisdom of God, what he has in the back of his mind is the wisdom books of the Old Testament and all their teachings. So we're talking about the books of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and it's in those books, there's a lot of teachings about what is what does the wisdom of God entail? And one of the things that is said in the beginning of the book of Proverbs in the first and second chapter is essentially this. If you want to live well, if you want to live in alignment with God's wisdom, and if you want to flourish, it offers two suggestions. The first is this, fear the Lord, right? That's an echo all through the first beginning chapters of the book of Proverbs. And it's the answer to the question in Ecclesiastes too, right? So fear of God, what does that mean? First, it means to acknowledge that God's wisdom is beyond your own understanding, right? That God is beyond our comprehension. And so we need the enlightenment of his Holy Spirit to understand more of him and how he's leading us. And then we also need, the fear of God also entails reverently submitting yourself to God's will, 
So once God's will has been revealed to you, you need to respond to that. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says the same thing this way. He says, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So essentially, Paul is re-echoing what the wisdom of Proverbs says, which is submit yourself to God, submit yourself to a God who is outside of time, who is not bound by a body, who created you, and submit yourself to the wisdom of his church and of his scriptures. And then the other thing the book of Proverbs says that Paul echoes is to adopt, adopt a humble and teachable spirit. The book of Proverbs says it this way. It says, don't be stuffed full of your own counsel, right? Don't be so stuffed full of your own wisdom that you don't have the ability to hear the guidance of God through his church and through your brothers and sisters in Christ. And you don't have any space to hear the wisdom of the scriptures, right? So don't be so stuffed full of your own self that you have no room for anything else. And so part of this that we see in 1 Corinthians is Paul is encouraging his churchgoers to be willing to accept his advice and correction, right? So this is a church that didn't always agree with their founder, and he's encouraging them to not just listen to his wisdom, but to listen to the wisdom of other elders in the church as they offer correction and advice. So he's saying, pay heed to the advice and correction of more mature believers, right? So be humble, accept that you don't, even though you have the mind of Christ, you don't always know how to exercise it correctly. And so be willing to learn from others and be humble enough to admit that you don't know anything, everything and that you might be in need of correction in some areas of your life. Or Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians, the third chapter. He says, be wary of being deceived about your own wisdom and being prideful about your own maturity, right? So he's cautioning us against deceiving ourselves about our own standing and areas where we might need to be corrected or to hear a voice of another person. Paul says this, take stock of your life. You might, be, you might claim to be wise and mature, but Corinthians, your behavior suggests otherwise. You claim that you have these amazing riches from the Holy Spirit, and yet look at your community life. And so that is a good word for all of us. In areas where we claim to be wise and gifted, we all need to take stock and look at the fruit of our lives and whether the fruit of our lives really respect, reflects the fact that we have received the mind of Christ. Now, I don't want to leave us all here. I always find it helpful when a preacher gives me some helpful suggestions on how I might move forward. And so the church fortunately offers us some really helpful prayer resources for helping pride and self-deception in check and for allowing us to cultivate hearts that are open to hearing wise words from other believers. And so I'm going to offer you three so uh, three weeks ago, Amy, when she wrote her blog post for the week, um, I think it was the first um, the first week of the year, she offered an annual examine in that, which is a way of looking back on your last year and kind of tracking where um, you have seen God, where maybe you have been apart from God. Um, but along that, along with that as well, there's these resources out here developed by Ignatius of Loyola, um, which is a prayer of examination that you can do either every week or every day. But it's a way of going back over your day 
and seeing where you walked closely with God and maybe where you were apart from God. It can be a really helpful resource for um, finding patterns in your life, finding maybe those areas where you're not walking closely with God, or maybe you're not receptive for hearing correction from other people. Um, but it's just a way of being systematic and prayerful about your thoughts, your words, and your deeds in the midst of your day or your week. So I find that's a really helpful resource for me, um, has been, and it has been a really helpful for lots of Christians over the centuries. For me, um, practice that I've added to this as well is that I regularly um, meet with a priest for confession, not because I can't go to God directly for forgiveness of sins, but I find it actually really helpful in my life to have another a layer of accountability, particularly around habitual sins. So sins that um, I know I re readily and regularly fall into, I find it really helpful to have another set of eyes and ears asking me questions and holding me accountable. Um, and the reason I would suggest particularly maybe thinking about going to a priest for this is that um, a lot of times pastors are trained in helping, they are trained in being able to offer you insights into maybe why you fall into a particular sin and um, what are approaches that the church has used for addressing that sin in the past. So you might have amazing resources for accountability in other areas of your life, um, but one of the reasons you might want to go to confession for a priest is just to have that regular source of accountability and to have somebody who is skilled at thinking about issues of sin and how to address them in your life. So they might have additional resources to offer you. And finally, if you're in a prayer group, if you're in a small group this term, um, I might encourage you to think about praying through the chapter that we're working through on your own outside of the small group, maybe doing it in kind of a a slow meditative way and just asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what in this passage is for you and about you and what in this passage is something that you need to address in your own life. And then maybe think about folding that back into an accountability structure that you have already in place or that you'd like to develop. All of these are just resources to help us be um, sensitive to areas where we are not always clear-eyed about our own, the state of our own internal health, um, where we fall into sins that sometimes we're not even aware of. And um, these are all really great resources to address pride and self-deception in our own life, which are what things that the Apostle Paul says are necessary before you can begin addressing any of these other issues that he's going to talk about in the next couple chapters. The book of 1 Corinthians is a challenging letter. It has lots of different issues that it addresses in the coming chapters. And I think it has really wise counsel for all of us in the church, either individually or corporately, if we're willing to open our ears and our hearts to hear what it has to say to us. And so I would encourage you to maybe think about taking this week and the next week in these early chapters of 1 Corinthians and think about and ask God the question, what do you need me to do to become soil that's fertile for the work of 1 Corinthians to be done in my life? What structures do I need to put in place that will help me to hear the words that you have for me in the coming weeks? And so I'm going to begin that process by praying this collect over all of us. This was written by an Archbishop of Canterbury around World War II. And he wrote this for the church and I'm going to pray it for all of us.
but I pray that you would also pray it for each other. Almighty and eternal God, so draw our hearts to you, so guide our minds, so fill our imaginations, so control our wills that we may be wholly yours, utterly dedicated to you, and then use us, we pray, as you will, and always to your glory and to the welfare of your people through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And I just invite you to take a few minutes of silence to reflect on what you've just heard. <laughs> 